In the following live session recording, Bill Emiot, children's pastor for First Baptist Church of Houston, Texas, talks about connecting with families and helping families connect. God's plan has always been to use the significant adults in the lives of kids to teach them spiritual truths. Many of today's parents are not well equipped to do that. This session challenges the listener to be proactive in connecting with kids' families, as well as providing a plan to help churches better connect with families and families to connect with their kids. Let's join Bill now. My name is Bill Emiot, and I'm glad to be here with you guys today. I love teaching Bible study. I love teaching um, children. I love teaching, um, uh, talk, talking a little bit about, I generally kind of stay in my lane. I, I do a preteen Bible drill the last few years, or last 15 years at my church. I, I love preteens as well, um, but I can only take them for a season. You know, I think about sixth grade, you put them in a box and close them up. Somewhere around Christmas is when it goes south with, you know. But I've also been teaching four and five year olds uh, choir on Wednesday night. I didn't mean to, but I did. I thought I'd sign up for fourth and fifth grade choir. And when I got there, I recognized they were a little smaller than I thought they would be. But I kept going back because those kids love you. They really do love you in a, in a genuine kind of way. What I've noticed, though, in this in this season of working as a, a, a children's ministry uh, volunteer at my church is families have changed a lot over the past 16 years, maybe over the past 20 or 25, but they've changed a lot over the past years. And today I want us to spend some time thinking about how we can connect with families. How can we connect with families and how can we help families to connect with each other? Um, at the end of the day, our role is to partner with families, not to be the spiritual leaders of families, but to partner with them. But in order for that to happen, we need to understand a little bit about who they are. So with that said, I'd like for us to pray, get started, and have a good fun time together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity that you give us today to come together as uh, ministry leaders, kids ministry leaders who are taking our job serious. It is Friday afternoon. It is hot and we are here studying how to connect with families and connect with parents and help families to connect. God, I'm thankful for this opportunity. I pray that the things that are said in this room today are pleasing to you and helpful to these. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want us to start by thinking a little bit about families and who they are. Now, I think it's kind of interesting. I often want to give a disclaimer, two disclaimers off from the get-go. First of all, I consider myself to be an expert in two areas, marriage and parenting. I've never done either one. So, that said... I don't want to ever talk down to families. I, I've been around a lot of families. I feel like I am a specialist in a lot of areas when it comes to children and families. But I don't want to ever talk down to it. So as we get into this, I don't want you to hear me bad-mouthing families because that's not my point. But I do think we need to understand who they are. It's not our job to judge today's families, but to try and understand them 
so that we can reach families with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our job as children's ministry leaders, as Bible study leaders, as direct, whatever your role is, whatever brings you into this room, our job is to reach families, boys and girls, and their families for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're there to do. Not judge them. They come in all different shapes and sizes and colors and, 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 and backgrounds and, and socioeconomic issues. That's not the issue. That's not the goal. The goal is to introduce and lead those boys and girls and their families to Jesus Christ. We have the privilege of partnering with them as much as we can. We get to see them at my church, um, I think. I'm still new, right? <laughs> I think we get to see them if they come to everything four hours during the week at Houston First. That's a lot. Most churches don't even have that, that much time. Um, one of my best friends, or my best friend, is at a church, a, diff, a different church in Houston. They have a two-hour window. Now, they're telling us that people are coming very sp sporadic to church these days. Um, ch children, uh, children who used to come, families who used to come to church every, if you were considered a regular attender, you came every Sunday. I tell people all the time that I grew up with a drug problem. I was drugged to church every time the doors were open, you know, and that's just the way it was. Now they're telling us if a family comes two times a month, their regular attenders. How do we connect with these people? How do we connect with these families? So I just want to introduce you to some of the families that are in the ministry at First Baptist Church Nashville. I don't know many of them at Houston yet, but the, some of the families at First Baptist Nashville. And just see if maybe you can relate. The first family I want to introduce you to is the giraffe family. This giraffe family goes to my church. These are overscheduled people. The families, the giraffe family is very overscheduled. They overschedule with sports. They're overscheduled with school, other extracurricular activities. They're overscheduled or overstretched, overextended, overextended with their financially, yet commitment to the church. They're, they're committed to sports, and they're committed to school, and they're committed to ballet, and they're committed to all these other things, yet the families that I've been ministering to are have a lacking commitment to be at church. Like I said, some of them are not coming but twice a month, and that's considered in good standing with the church. They place a low priority on regular attendance. This overextension results in exhaustion, distraction, stress, family stress with parents and their kids, family stress with, their, with spouses, um, dis being distracted, and feeling just really exhausted. I don't know. Maybe it was just in Nashville. I don't know if those people go to your church or not. But the giraffe family definitely goes to my church. The next family that I would like to introduce you to are the Peacocks. The Peacock family, these people, this family, are very concerned with appearances. They're very, very concerned with appearances. On social media, they're on every week, every night, putting on that wonderful picture, that selfie, it's held a little bit high, that selfie that shows the perfect family. 
They never show the family when they're going at each other, you know, but the perfect family on Facebook, the perfect family, um, they drive the perfect car, they're concerned about the house that they live in and the school that they send their children to, how things appear are important to them. What do people think about us? The Peacock family struggles um, being uh, who they really are down deep because they believe they're supposed to be something else. I don't know. It, it could just be Nashville. I've even seen a few peacocks in Houston, though. The next family I want to introduce you to are the hippopotamus family. The hippopotamus family is technically saturated. They're up to their eyeballs. They're up to their nose in technology. This is the family who has I-everything. I-book, I-pad, I-watch, I-everything. And they're keeping up with each other through technology. They communicate with each other through their, own, their devices. They text, they Snapchat, they Twitter, they Instagram, they use emojis, yet seldom communicate face-to-face. This past Christmas, my, I had a family that stayed with me for a few days. Um, and one night, we were sitting there watching television. The husband was on one end of the couch. The wife was on the other end of the couch. And I was sitting in my chair. <laughs> and um, I noticed they were texting. And I could tell they were texting each other. And I'm thinking, they're talking about me. Because otherwise, they would just talk. And finally, I said... What are y'all doing? Who are you? Well, I feel like you're talking to me about me. And they said, oh, no, we're talking about what we're going to do for breakfast in the morning. And I almost want to say, let me look, you know, because I didn't believe them. But I'm, I, that's the way they even communicate with each other sitting on the end of the sofa. Now, again, I'm not here to judge and I'm not here to make uh, to even make suggestions on how they might do that work on that. But what I am here to say is those are some of the families that we have. My nephews whom I'm currently living with in Houston, they all have devices. They all have devices. Um, the seven year old the other day, I couldn't find my phone so I'm pinging it and it's up there with him. He has my phone, his iPad, and the little iPhone that his grandmother had given him when she ran out of it. And He's got all three of them going. I read recently that the generation that we're ministering to right now wants five screens at a time. Five screens going at a time. I don't even know what those five screens are. The television, the iPhone, the iPad, the computer, and something else. They want that. And you know where they're getting it from? Their parents. Their parents are just as addicted to technology as they are. And these families are up to their eyes, up to their nose in technology. I don't know. Maybe it's just my church. The next family I want to introduce you to are the chameleons. The chameleon family are very related to the peacock family, sort of, but the, they have this pressure to conform. They feel like they have to conform 
conform to what's going on. Social comfort conforming, politically conforming, correctness, gender, gender identity, politics, me too. All these things are pressing in on the chameleon family and they believe they have to do it because they're concerned that they will be ostracized by their friends if they don't. They don't even want to do some of these things. They don't want to be involved in some of these things. But because their friends are, they feel like they have to. They feel like they have to conform to what's going on. The chameleon family hears what the media says and quickly conforms out of a fear of being left out. FOMO, fear of missing out. They're very sure that if they don't do it, they'll miss out on something. The chameleon family. The next one is the meerkat family. The meerkat family are con always trying to keep up with the Joneses. Now, the chameleon family is concerned what the Joneses think about them. The meerkat family wants to be like them. They're looking over there to be like them. So they get a new car, we get a new car. Always looking up to see what everybody else is doing and attempting to keep up with the Joneses. They may not even like an Escalade, but my neighbor got an Escalade, so I have to get an Escalade. Personally, I was very happy with my uh, Formica. But when I kept seeing it on the side of the road in my neighborhood, I knew it was time to give in to Granite. Not because I needed it or wanted it, but because they had granite, I had to have granite. It was lowering the value of my home. <laughs> That's the, that is the meerkat family. They not, may not even want or enjoy what the Joneses have, but they need one too. They need one too. <coughs> the next family at my church, at least, are the dr bearded dragons. The bearded dragon family. And the bearded dragon family are always looking to try to give their child a leg up, an advantage. They're always trying to give their kid a leg up. Sports, they have to t uh, tutoring for sports and, and private lessons and tutoring for education, private lessons and, and, and private this and everything, I, we have to make sure that they have every opportunity they can have. And this often leads to uh, spending money that they don't have and finding themselves in financial, uh, financially strapped. Um, these are people in my church who are struggling, not because they can't pay their bills, but because they've created such an atmosphere in their homes and with their children that we're going to do everything we can do to keep giving them every leg up possible so they can be on travel soccer. You know, but you got to take, you got to go to soccer camp for that, and that's 600. They're finding themselves hurting financially because of all this. My dad was a, a very wise man, and after he passed away eight years ago, he became much wiser. You know, you don't always appreciate what you have till you don't have it. But one time, I remember my dad saying, son, I want to give you everything that I didn't have, but not at the expense of what I did have. Now, I didn't know what that meant. 
I just wanted everything, you know. I wanted uh, the whatever it was that I wanted, you know, that my dad was trying to work so hard to give me. But the truth is, I think a lot of our families are giving our kids so much these days that they're not giving them what maybe we had, like T-I-M-E time and, and, and opportunities in the, in the yard to throw the football and time to go to the beach and just sit and do nothing and relax and love the beach. And I think that they're missing opportunities to give them what maybe they really need. Again, I don't mean to judge. Finally, the last thing, the last family that I'd like to introduce you to, at least at my church, are the chimpanzee family. The chimpanzee family are what I like to say are swingers, but in a different kind of way. <laughs> Swinging from one thing to the next. One, uh, one activity to the next activity and struggling with commitments to anything. There's a, I read a few months ago this phenomena called modularity. And this modularity is where families are going and picking and choosing and piecing together what works for them instead of being committed to this one lane. They're moving and swapping lanes and going all over the place. And I see it happening in church as well. When I was at in Nashville, we were at first. I was at First Baptist um, Nashville downtown church. It's not an easy church to get to on um, on weeknights, but we had people who would come to our church on Sunday morning because they liked our music style, and then they would go to take their church to another church on Sunday night because they had a discipleship program that they wanted over there that we didn't offer downtown. And then on Wednesday night, they'd go to another church because they wanted their kids to be involved in this uh, activity over here. And what's happening is that no one is committed, is, uh, committed to anything. And again, I don't mean to judge them, but this is the, these are the families that we're trying to reach. And I think it's important that in today's family, uh, we recognize that reaching them won't be easy. And as a matter of fact, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, it's not going to be like it used to be. It's going to be hard. But if we're going to make a real difference in a child's life, we need to make a difference in a child's family. I have a kid for an hour. They have them the whole rest of the week. No one influences a child for good or for bad, like a parent, like a family can. So how do we reach the family? How do we reach the family? It won't be easy. It's going to be hard. But I think it's what we're supposed to do. So let me give you some suggestions. These are some tips for connecting with these families. Some snapshots, if you will, that I'd like to share with you on what we might can consider. And then we're going to get practical toward the end about how, what are some things we can help families do to connect. So how can we connect with all these, this zoo of families that we've seen today? The first one that I would share with you, tips for connecting with families, is we need to begin with the end in mind. We need to start the whole process of what we do in our children's ministry, in our Sunday school areas, wherever it is you're serving, what, with family in mind. At um, Houston's First, um, I, work on a t I work in a team called the Next Gen Team. And so our team is the student pastor, the children's pastor, and the preschool pastor. And these three people work under together to do the work of, of children's ministry and student ministry and preschool ministry. We're working together to do that. The whole thing is umbrella, though, through the lens of family. 
through the lens of family. And the 16 and a half years I've been at Lifeway, I used to say, if I ever get a chance to do it again, thinking in the back of my mind, I'll never do it again. If I ever got a chance to do it again, I would put more emphasis on family than I did when I was at Tabernacle in Cartersville and Ephesus in Winston. I didn't think I could do that. How can I tell families what to do when I've not done it myself? Well, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I want to walk beside you and do it with you. So we've got to begin and see Bible study ministry. What's the point? To get through the lesson? To lead, to, to fill kids with biblical content? The point is, it, or the, 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 where I want in this conversation, there's other conversations, because I would say the gospel is the biggest reason we do what we do. So hear me say that. That's the next conference. But for this point... I want to say if we begin with the whole reason that we exist is to equip the families and to help the families, then it'll happen. We won't do it if it's willy-nilly. If we just kind of think we might get around to it or, oh, we got to reach families, that's not going to happen. But if everything we do, everything we do, we start looking at it through the lens of family and how can we be a family-driven ministry, how can we connect with families, then you'll connect with families. But if you wait till it's to, you know the end of Sunday school and oh I, I need to connect, how do, how do I do that? You won't do it. You won't do it. But if you begin with that, your teacher prep on Sunday um, night before for the next Sunday morning, because that's when we begin, right? Uh, your teacher prep. How can I connect with families this week? How can I What can I give these families to help them reinforce this biblical content that we have? Begin with the end in mind. Next tip that I have for you today is keep it simple, sweetie. Keep it simple. Keep it as simple as possible. We've already established that these these families are overscheduled, over they're stressed out, they've got too much to do. And if you give them a and I I just got convicted. If because I in the two weeks that I've been there, I've been re- getting an email with, that we sent out on Sunday afternoon right after church. It goes out, it's scheduled to go out at noon. This is what we did. But it's a long email. If you send them a long email, they're not going to read it. We've got to make it quick and easy to read and bullet points and something that they can be successful with. And maybe it's even, instead of do this on Monday, do this on Tuesday, do this on Wednesday, do this on Thursday, we have one thing, do this sometime this week. I think the kids that I've been teaching, if they had one time, if they had family devotion once a week, that would be a success. And the families that I am watching or that I'm living with right now, if they could figure out how to have it once a week, it would be a success. It is crazy. They've got four boys in uh, seventh grade, sixth grade, fourth grade, second grade. And I don't know who decided homework was as important as they decided it is now. I think it's all about teaching to the test, right? Whatever it is, they're loaded. How can they have family devotion? But maybe if they could get one night where they could find 15 minutes then instead of making them feel bad that they didn't do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then, oh, by the way, Sunday too, when you get home from church, do it again. Maybe we could encourage them to be successful by keeping it simple. Keeping it simple. And 
if they get in the, into it and they love it, they'll find out how to make it more complicated. But if they see an email or they see a text or they see instructions that are just way over their head, most families aren't going to be able to do it. The next point, the next tip that I have for you today is partner with leaders of adults. As we try to connect with families, we need to think about those leaders who are in our church who are reaching adults. Those leaders in our church who their job is to reach the adult. As far as I can tell, I hadn't have a third grader yet who drives downtown to Nashville. And most of them aren't gonna come because their kid wants to come. I wish it was that way. Now, if they get there and their kid doesn't want to come back, they won't come back. But the people who are coming down to Nashville, the people who are coming to my church, are, being, are coming because they want their, the adults want to be there. And then they're bringing their children with them. So why would we see it just our job to connect with families when the young adult pastor or the young adult Sunday school teacher is right there equipped and hopefully aware that they're to reach families too. Let's do this thing together. Vacation Bible School is a great example of that in my mind at least because when we have all these kids come in, if your church is like my church, about 50% of your attendance is not your, uh, not your, not your membership. And about 22% of those don't go to church anywhere. So we get this great opportunity to connect with families who are not connected to any church. Well, if I could get my young adult Sunday school teacher to go with me to visit that third grader's parent, then we've got a whole nother kind of connection. First of all, they're going to feel like, oh, I've got a friend that's there. We'll talk about connecting families with families in just a second. But what about let's work together as a church to connect with families, not just the preschool and children's people and maybe the student people, but families. Again, families bring families. And we, if we want to connect with them, we need to be thinking about how can we connect with the adult and how can we do that? I don't know of a better way than the people who are already equipped to do that. Now, it may be surprising when you go call the young adult Sunday school teacher and say, hey, we want to, I would like to connect with you. I'd like for us to work together to reach this family, this third grade family that was with us for VBS. And now that's up there on my prospect role, I'd like you know, they're going to go, what? Because I don't know that it's on their radar. But what a better way to do it. I think we have, I've never been in a church yet, and I've been in a lot of churches. I've not been in a church yet that had a Sunday school for children and didn't have a Sunday school for adults. Now, I think it started out that way, but it's not that way anymore. I have been in churches that have adult Sunday school and not children's Sunday school, and those are sad churches. But I haven't been in one the other way. So somebody is there. And we need to connect these ministries. We need to quit living in our silos, tear them down, join hands, and go after families. All right. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Continue the connection. Here's, here's what I read. It takes... Um, it takes either six or eight. It takes six to eight. I like it that way. It takes six to eight contacts with someone before they fully believe you want them there. 
And I, well, oftentimes we send a postcard. And we think, I tried. Or we may have, in the old days, we'd pick up the phone. We may have texted them. But I want to encourage you that it takes more than one opportunity to connect. It takes more than one opportunity to make them think that you have made it with them or that you've connected with them. Um, we attempt, and we, we do a one-time attempt, and then, then we're done. It's work, and it takes multiple contacts to connect. And, and, and we can, uh, it can take multiple invitations to receive a positive response. And we need to know that. We need to recognize that. We need, yes, ma'am. Um, so, so recently, folks have been um, asking about making uh, copies of the guests that we have and whatnot. Is it a little too much if you know, four people from different ministries call the same person within a week time? Or should that be more carefully staged? I think it might need to be more carefully staged, but I would rather someone get four contacts than no contacts. Well, right. Yeah. And I think we could stage it, carefully stage it in such a way where um, they're not all getting them on Sunday afternoon. Um, and maybe we have different people who do different kinds of contacts. Um, for me, nobody's answering the phone anymore. They're just not answering the phone. So. Uh, email, text, maybe a phone call. That would be helpful. I don't know. What do y'all think? Four contacts too much? I think it definitely needs to be four different ways. Four different uh, four ways. Phone calls, like an email, a text. I mean, some, like we're, we're in a small Postcard. town, so a drop by to see them, whether they answer the door or not. Right, and take a little bag. Yeah. You know, I used to say, I will not go empty-handed. Must I go empty-handed? No. Um, I, I, I appreciate that, mm -hmm. but I think she's on to something, and I think four different kinds of contacts really, really could work. But it, uh, another thing, it's probably going to take multiple, t a lot of time, too. Maybe four contacts over two weeks would be helpful. Um, so that they know that you're not just checking them off a box that, you know, my pastor stands up and says, we want to know that you're here, we promise we're not coming to your house. But we want to know that you're here, and we want to know how we can. We're going to. Re we will reach out, and we will see if you're. Um, if we can, you know, if there's anything we can do for you. One of the things that I was taught early on um, in ministry was to go when I did go and make contact with non-church people to say, you know, do you have church home? And no, we don't have church home. Well, until you find one, please consider us your church home. If any, you need anything, we'll be here for you. You know, and we, we've got some members that way because things happen and then they do need a church home. They do need, you know, people are, are, are very open to spiritual things and, and there, are, there are times in, in, in a family's life when they're very open and we need to continue to be there for them. We need to not just say we tried and then we put them away, but when, when they were at Vacation Bible School, Grandma hadn't died. But when grandma dies, the family's open. When, when, when the baby's born, the family's open. But if we just don't continue to, if we stop trying, and then those, those timely spiritual God moments happen and we're not there for them, then we've missed the opportunity. We've missed the opportunity.
this next one talks about partnering families with families. And I shared with you early on that it's not gonna, this is not going to be an easy thing. This is not going to be easy work. And so we've got work that we have to do. As ministry leaders, we may have to think through this. Um, the best visit, the best invitation is going to be from when one family invites another family. So uh, you live in your, your, your neighborhood and, and there's families in your neighborhood that you could invite. Those families are, go are more apt to say yes. We, uh, study after study after study shows that the best way to um, get people to come to church or to connect them to your church is when someone makes a personal invitation. And we've tried everything we know how to do to quit giving those, you know, face-to-face -face invitations. So as we have families who come to our church um, who are trying, and we're trying to connect them to our church, what about connecting the the prospect family with a church family who is already involved in the church. So you have a family and you've, they've come to visit and they've, you've identified them as the family who lives in Bethsaida Woods subdivision. And you've got the chairman of the deacons and his family who are the, about the same age as this family over here. And guess where they live? Now that's the connection that's going to cause us to have a connect to make a lifetime connection with that family. But it's going to take a little bit of work. So a third grade boy comes to your class. Why wouldn't we connect him with a family who has a third grade? We go ahead and enlist these families to be connector families and they all they're sitting we put them together when they first get there. They sit together in worship. They they follow up afterwards. It's a natural thing and it's not even all that hard. People aren't aren't opposed to making friends. And if you, if you know that's your job and you know that's your role uh, and that's what, that's, your family's going to sit with them at church, your family's going to say, hey, we're going to Dairy Queen after church or wherever we're going, you know, um, you want to come with us? Um, hey, let's meet at the pool Saturday um, at the neighborhood pool. But it's going to take a little bit of work on our part to think through some of those things to think through how can we be strategic in connecting families with other families. Um, I read a book recently that's been, become one of my favorite books. It's by Tim Elmore, who's an Atlantan. I think he lives up in Alpharetta or Snellville or somewhere up that way. And he wrote a book called Marching Off the Map. And um, it's basically, he, he's a, a, a real big advocate for uh, the younger generation. He's a huge advocate for millennials. And now, if, in case you don't know, millennials are the parents that we're serving in our ministry. Some of you are millennials, and that's great. But, you know, y'all are the ones who are the parents of the kids that we're trying to serve. And so he says a lot of things about millennials, and he's got a book that's getting ready to come out on the next generation that we're calling Gen Z. That, you know, it was Generation X, Generation Y, Generation Z. We, we called them boomers, I mean busters, millennials, and now we don't have a pet name for them yet, so we're just calling them Generation Z. 
Um, he loves these young families. He loves these people. And, and in this book, he talks a lot about how we can connect with the, with the millennial generation. So he says, don't think, how can we control them? But think, how can we connect with them? They don't want to be controlled. These parents, these families don't want us to tell them what to do. They want us to connect with them. They're more interested in the relationship than our theology. They're more interested in, in um, friendship than they are, uh, at least initially, than a relationship with Christ. And so how can we connect with them? He also talks about don't inform them, but think interpret for them. These unchurched families don't need information. They have all the information they need at the tip of their finger, or the tip of their thumbs. Yeah. You know, it's been said that we've raised a generation, the millennials, who are the parents of our kids, we have raised a generation who don't need anybody to tell them anything. Now, what they might need, though, is to help them interpret what they're reading about Baptist. Or what they're interpreted, what help them to interpret what they might find on the internet about Christians. Because it's not all nice and it's not all pretty. So as you begin to try to connect with families, think about in, how, we, how can we interpret information for them, not just inform them. Think what, not why. Uh, or think why, not what. That came out backwards. Um, Giving this generation a, group, a bunch of facts is not interesting to them. But why are we doing this? Why should you bring your child to church? Why should you be concerned with spiritual development with your, with your boys and girls? Why should you have conversations, uh, spiritual conversations at home? Not just tell them to do it. You know, we've been giving out handouts at the door. Here's the take-home page. On, you know, and, and we just, they're not doing it. But why should they do it? Why? Think why, not just the what. Uh, think, help them do it, not do it for them. They, 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 they don't want you to do it for them. They want you to help them to do it. Think expose them, not impose. Think descriptive and not prescriptive. Think real, not cool. I, I heard recently that real is the new cool. <laughs> Being real with them isn't the new cool. And a lot of our churches have just got on the cool wagon and we've got our smoke and lights and all those things going on in the band and you know we jump now when we worship and all those things. They're not impressed with that. Today's families are want to know are is it real? Not is it staged and is it cool and is it perfectly composed and, and everybody is timed exactly right. Now we need, to, we need to do a good job. That doesn't give us the freedom to not be relative. We need to be biblical but, and we need to be relative, a relative biblical community of believers. We need that. But if, we, if we're all about the show and not about really investing and loving and being real with them, then they're going to see through that and they're going to go find someone else who will. I want us to think about, I want us to transition for the next 10 minutes or so, and then we can talk questions and answers and um, go to dinner early. Um, I want us to think about how can we, we've talked about connecting with, but how can we help families connect? 
How can we help families connect? I think it's biblical. I believe it's Ecclesiastes that says there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> and so there's, that's probably true at some level. I want us to think about three ways that we can maybe connect with families. Uh, three ways that we may can connect with families or help families to connect. The first one is traditional. Those traditional things that maybe even your were, people did for you, your church did for you when you were a child with your family that connected. What are some of those traditional ways? I'm going to give you a couple because I, we've got a whole piece of paper back there that's blank. I don't want to give you too many, but I want you to think. When I was um, in fifth grade, my grandfather died. Now, I attended First Baptist Church, Red Oak, Georgia, on Washington Road in East Point, Red Oak, Georgia, just south of College Park. That's where I grew up. I'm a Southside boy. I will cut you. I, I get it. You know, I love my heritage. I, you know, anyhow. I couldn't say that anywhere else and anybody else would laugh except y'all. Because y'all know. We will. Um, anyhow, so I grew up in uh, Red Oak, Georgia. It's not a, uh, in College Park. It's not a large church. First Red Oak wasn't a large church. We probably had a couple hundred, maybe 250 who attended regularly. And we all knew each other. And so when there was something that happened in our family's life, we, the church stepped in. The church connected with us. They stepped in and connected with us. So my, um, my Sunday school teacher, we, my, my, my grandfather had passed away. My Sunday school, all the church shows up at my house. To this day, when I go by and there's lots of cars in the yard, I think somebody's died. And so here, the whole church, they bring casseroles and hams and every chicken from every chicken joint in the city and that's what was happening in my family and and I'm sitting back as a fifth grader watching all this happen and I remember my Sunday school teacher coming in and she had a plate of it was either brownies or cookies but I think it was brownies and she had this plate of brownies and she my mother was came up to her to take the brownies from her you know back in those days you sent thank you notes in order to send thank you notes you had to put a little dot a number dot on the bottom of the plate because the plate needed to get back to them and you wrote in the book that miss faye brought don't uh, brownies so she comes up she says oh faye thank you for coming she reaches out for the brownies and my sunday school teacher said oh no i brought these for bill I have never, ever forgotten that. We need to be more traditional. We need to help some of our families understand traditional ways of connecting with their kids, like reading their Bible to them at night before they go to bed. It's just, it's not hard. It's not difficult. We're going to think a lot more. I want you to think of traditional ways that we can help families connect. Traditional ways that we can help families connect. That's over there. The next one is intentional ways. Intentional ways that we can help families connect. We've got two stories, quick stories here. One of them was kids are watching you. Kids are watching you. So how can you be intentional about what you're doing? And how can we help parents be intentional about what they're doing? Several years ago, we went to, uh, I took my, my little nephew at that time, Reed, he was probably three at the time, to a restaurant called the Fontenelle, Mansion at Fontenelle in Nashville. It's a very fancy restaurant. You never do that with more than one child. It was when he was an only child. 
And so we were at the Fontenelle, and I had gotten there um, and got our name in the pot, and um, she said it's going to be a 20-minute wait. Oh, my goodness. 20 minutes with a three-year-old. What are we going to do? And Earlier, before we walked, got out of the car, I had said to Reed, I said, Reed, you need to uh, act good in here. This is a really fancy place, and I want you to act good now. I want us to talk, you know, because I'm a parent, professional parent, right? And I'm telling him all, because I think kids don't often live up to our expectations because they don't know what we expect. And so here you go. I'm giving him the list of expectations. I want you to act good. And I said, now listen, I don't want to embarrass you either because that's when I thought that was important too. When you have four nephews, you just yell. Um, <laughs> but at that point, I said, now, Reed, if, if you start acting out, if I, I'll, I'll do like this to you. And that way you'll know and you'll remember that you're supposed to not do that. All right, we get in there, 20 minutes goes by, 30 minutes goes by, 45 minutes goes by. I'm getting hot, and it goes by. I go up to, my, to the lady standing there. I said, you told me it was going to be 20 minutes. I got this three-year-old kid over here, and it's 45 minutes. And she said, sir, I'm sorry. I don't know what I thought she was going to do. I turned around, Reed's doing this to me. <laughs> They're watching you. They're watching you. So what are the intentional times that you can, they can catch you? They're going to learn more by what they see you do than they'll ever learn by what they hear you say. So you need to be modeling this. And we help parents understand that in their going and their coming, in the intentionality of their, of their day when they're standing in line at Walmart. Are you ta- what are you talking about? How slow the cashier is? <laughs> Or how they only have two lines open. They've got 28 registers and two lines open. Or are you taking that opportunity to be intentional? There are opportunities that we can be intentional. Families can be intentional with time they already have. I mean, they don't have to watch the video every time they get in the minivan. All right, so there's a couple suggestions that we can put up there. The last one is technological. How can we help families connect through using technology? Now, at the end of the day, I wish I, I, I wish nobody had technology but me because I'm not willing to give it up. But because it's not going to go away, it's not going to go away. But I'm telling you, they're sitting on the ends of sofas. And they're texting each other. So how can we use technology to maybe equip parents? That's a, or how could parents use technology? Maybe apps. Did you know that Lifeway has a free app for all three of our children's curriculum lines? If you, have you told your families that? If you use Bible Space for Life, Explore the Bible, or Gospel Project, there is a free app that they could use. That's technology. And all of a sudden, it's not, it's not Minecraft. And it's not Roblox. But it's something for a little bit. And again, didn't we always say, if we could just get them to do it once a week. You know, okay, you can play Minecraft later, but right now we're going to do this together. I want us to spend about five minutes thinking about these three areas. Now our room's a little uh, a little challenging, but I've tried to make it where you can get to all three. We're going to take a, not even five minutes to, for you to wander around and think of uh, one thing you could put on intentional, one thing you could put on techno, uh, traditional, and one thing you could put on technological. Now here's what I know. If I just tell you to do that, you're going to get up and some of you are going to not do it, and some of you are going to walk out the door. So, we're going to go in twosies. 
Everybody has to find a friend, and y'all can go together. That means we'll only you will have half as many uh, uh, suggestions as we have people in the room. That way we'll. And I'm not. This isn't the police. The conference police. You can do whatever you want to do, right? We're all Baptist, and we're autonomous. We can do whatever we believe is right in our own eyes. Um, but. We're going to take just about three minutes to circle around the room and put some tr some ideas up on the wall, and then we'll share them, and then we'll be dismissed. So let's get that going. All right. I want to read to you um, Deuteronomy chapter 6 talks about, um, you, you, you're familiar with this because when Jesus was asked, um, what is the greatest commandment? He 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 quoted the the Shema, or he crea he quoted what we find in Deuteronomy six, where it says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength." But here's the part that oftentimes we need to be reminded of. Verse six: These commands I give you today are to be on your hearts. Verse seven. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Sounds kind of intentional to me. Sounds kind of intentional to me. But who that's spoken to is not the religious leaders. It's spoken to parents. So how can we help parents be more the spiritual leaders that God has called them to be and connect with their kids? So we've got some ideas up here that might be helpful that we can connect with families in traditional ways and how we can help families connect with each other by providing some of these opportunities perhaps. Meal trains, and I know that you, you know what that is. When a family needs, uh, needs is in need, we come together and we talked about it. We didn't call it a meal train back then, but we call it a meal train now. You can sign up for it online, so technology. <laughs> um, kick off a family night kickball. We can provide opportunities. do uh, We do all through the year we have opportunities where we have activities with our kids and we play and we have fall festivals and we do all these different things. But what if we put a little twitch, a little um, twist, thank you, I knew it was a twelve word. <laughs> we, uh, we put a twist to it and we begin to look at those events through families. Cookie decorating, potluck, game nights, family nerf war, uh, movie nights, cook supper together. As we think about, have you know, I think that families um, don't know how to connect. And so there may be things, suggestions that we can make for them. You know, again, one meal a week is going to be a stretch together at a, a dinner table this day and time. I know that sounds crazy. We ate dinner together every single night. And then we had our home life family devotion that my mom led. Because <laughs> she was determined. And we would kick each other and we would fight and we would scream. But we did it. And I have, we all have memories of that. So maybe we make some of those suggestions. Monthly giving back. And families do that together. Outreach opportunities. Um, family retreats and family weekends. There are ways that we can help and encourage families in traditional ways. Coming to church. Sitting together in worship. 
And sometimes as churches, we have set it up where they can't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I know that children's worship is valuable, but sometimes we need to encourage the families to worship together too. So um, at the church I'm currently serving in, I found out that in the, the month of April, they encourage families to, to as much as possible and try to equip and pastor knows they're coming. And so as sermons are, are family sensitive and family ready and, and they encourage families to worship together. I was told about 50% of the families take them up on it. But when do families, see, kids see their parents worship? When do they see their parents pray? Praying together. Opportunities that we can, traditional things that, they, that we know work, that we know would work, but maybe we need to share with them. As a Sunday school teacher a couple years ago, I came up with 12 ways that families could connect. And each month I would send home through an email to those families, how could you this month do this? Memorize scripture together. Memorize this Bible verse together this month. Just encouraging them to do something that's not rocket science. It's things that we've always done, but they're like, oh, you know, you know, go to worship together one time this month. Do this one time. Do this. Those in those traditional things that we've done forever. Some of our families just. Okay, I'm gonna be careful. Because I'm not a parent, but I feel in some ways that I have raised a generation who don't know how to parent. And I'm just as guilty as my brothers and sisters who do have kids. If you think that there's something going on with the millennials today, it, it, you, look at yourself. They don't know how to do it because we didn't do it. My parents put us around the table. We kicked each other, but we had a family devotion. My brothers and sisters didn't do that. And now their kids don't know what to do. We need to help them. Give them some gentle suggestions. Love on them. They, you, they got to know that you love them. They don't care, they don't care what you know till they know that you care, right? So you got to show them that you love them, and then you share with them some of these ideas. What about how could families be intentional? Pray for me. Uh, we could do a campaign. As a church, we could, we could pray for families. We could connect families together and pray for them. Um, prayer volunteer, uh, family volunteer opportunities, um, those intentional opportunities. Pray at the bus stop. I mean, if your child ever needed prayer, it was getting on that bus. So why couldn't families be intentional about making that a big deal? I was listening to a radio station in Houston this week, and they were, it was back to school week in Houston, and they were talking about different things, and um, this one lady called in, and she said that they had a, a signal, like, she said, five, and that was their, there was five things that their family, of their family values, so as their kids were getting off, getting out, going to, getting on the bus, or getting out of the carpool line, they would always say five to each other, and it would remind them of the five family values. Well, what, that's a good, that's an intentional opportunity every day, every time that we have, a, they're getting out of the car, or they're getting on the bus, that we remind them of spiritual things. Being intentional. I don't know about you, but I don't have hardly any more space on my calendar to put anything else. And neither do these families. So what are they already doing that if they just get intentional about it, 
They could reinforce biblical content. They could reinforce spiritual things. In the car, what kind of music are you listening to in the car? Are you listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire or Jars of Clay? I don't know. Or ACDC. I don't know what your thing is. <laughs> Depends on when you grew up. But the, my point is, or this point is, there are times in the car, car that we can help our families be intentional. Do you turn off the DVD and, and pray? Every morning, I, when I take the, when I get, I have had the opportunity to take my, my nephews to school. And when I take them to school, I, we, we pray. And we pray the same thing, that they would be wise, that they would be strong, and that they would be pure. After about the fourth or fifth time that I prayed that for them, they say it with me now. They just, I didn't tell them to. They just start saying it. God, help us be wise and strong and pure. Um, and I got that from my pastor. That's not unique to me. That's what he prays over them at baby dedication. And I thought, why couldn't, why couldn't, as a Sunday school teacher, encourage parents to continue praying that over their child all through their life? Um, prayer request on the way to school. Um, having your Bible out and open. Ha you know, do parents, do kids, do kids catch their parents reading their Bible? That's a whole other conference that I love to teach on spiritual disciplines. But the reason that kids get into habits are because they've had, they had them at a young age. Do I want my nephews that I'm currently living with to see me reading my Bible? I want them to catch me praying. I want them to catch me um, doing those spiritual things. And so, do you have your Bible open and is it out? And, all these are great opportunities, but we need to help families to think intentional. And finally, we've got to, it's not going away, technology. Send YouTube videos of Bible, of weekly lessons. You know, my nephews, the young, the, my youngest nephew loves YouTube. Now, I, I, I hope their parent, his parents have some kind of screening and some kind of filters on it. But right now, I've all caught him his cat videos. What is it up with cat videos? You know, <laughs> he loves cat videos. Anyhow, if we could figure out how to put a, a family video, a family um, you, uh, YouTube devotion, or direct, I bet they're out there. And if we could direct them to them, Tuck would look at the video. He may not want to sit around and take turns reading scripture around the coffee table, but he probably would watch that. So maybe we could do some research on our end. I told you it wasn't going to be easy. We could do some research on our end and then send them. Yes, ma'am. There's an app called Bible for Kids. Bible for Kids. And it is put out by the Bible app. And it goes from um, creation all the way to the end and you it picks us you know on the, all these stories and you watch it and it reads it to them so if they can't read and it's interactive cool and it has all different stories in the bible and it's called bible app bible app for kids bible app for kids our parents may not be aware that that exists. So one month, as Sunday school teacher, I'm going to send them this link and say, this month, take the opportunity to investigate this and use this to connect with your children. Great, great, great. Invite to uh, connect to church, the church's Facebook page as we try to, as we think about connecting with them. Watch Andy Griffith together as a family and talk about what happened and how you would handle it. Um, you know, that's a 
great suggestion as a family, and Andy Griffith may be the only one we can recommend, you know? But when they're watching TV, when they're watching uh, Dora the Explorer, or whoever they're watching, it used to be Barney, it's none of the above anymore. <laughs> the kids today are watching, you know, uh, totally different things. But as a family, maybe we watch it together. And then talk about it and talk about how we need to be salt and light or we need to be uh, culture shapers and not shaped by the culture. And what would we do? That's, that's good. Um, it's not... It, it, my, uh, poor things. My nephews are watching what they want to watch and their mom and daddy's watching the Food Network or whatever you know they're watching. And, and maybe if we watch the same thing together, then with intentionality, that's back over here, but with intentionality, then have conversations about it. Sunday school teachers text parents a message to their child. That's a great opportunity. The um, Remind app. Yeah. Talk about it. But it is a, an app that you can send an invite to your parents and they sign up for it and I can send reminders about anything and everything going on to remind them, oh, by the way, we need you to park on this side for Wednesday night or don't forget to bring your towel for water night or any of those things. So, so why not um, use that same thing, not just for towels and parking? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Good, good thinking. Um, we have access to Right Now Media and share it, and uh, we need to give families suggestions, um, Bible apps, um, uh, videos of Bible stories, those things that, um, that our kids are most familiar with and most drawn to, but maybe we can help families do those things. At the, at, while we were walking and doing the break for a second, um, I was reminded that all, one of the families, and I'll have to figure out a, a, a snapshot of what it looks like, um, a lot of families are being, or a lot of kids are being raised by ex, ex, uh, grandparents. grandparents and aunts and uncles and great aunts and uncles. And how does that look and how does that change our perspective as we think about connecting with them? Sometimes we get in our mind that they look like this. They're in their 20s and they've got 2.5 kids and they're all cute and it's all happy and you know they're busy. That's not always the, the, the situation. And quite frankly, it's becoming more and more of the norm to see um, extended family raising children. How does that change the way we connect with them? You have to wear five different hats. That, that's how I see it because I'm, our church is a, is a model of what you just said. I mean, we seem to be a magnet for a couple weeks ago, we had a, a 73-year-old grandmother who has now become a parent of a third grader and a kindergartner. Wow. And, and the list just goes on and on. They seem to be the Lord's bringing them. Yeah. And so you have to, you have to be able to do technology. You have to be and able you know, to do as, as, traditional. You have to 72, we're, most of us, all of us, are right under that. And we're probably okay with some of this stuff, some of these conversations that are up on that wall. But she may not be. We may need to inf be more informative as we try to connect with the grandparents who are raising their young children. We may need to try to help them with that. We may need to try to s jump in as uh, 
I'm 56 and it, my seven-year-old wears me out. I mean, my seven-year-old nephew wears me out. So I can't imagine 72, you know? And so maybe we need to be, as Sunday school teachers and leaders in the church, sensitive and step in a little bit, lean in a little bit to, to help make some, some give some uh, respite, if you will, to those, those older grandparents who are, who are raising their kids and connecting through um, helping them figure it out. I mean, every third grader, grader needs to be on tribal soccer, but every 72-year-old grandmama don't need to be taking him. You know, so maybe we help, we see it. Don't be, be sensitive to what God's bringing to you. Because in some of these settings, uh, special needs ministry is one of them, and perhaps this multi-generational uh, family is one of them. If you have it and you do it well and you're welcoming, they will show up. And that may be what's happening. Y'all may have done it well and words out on the street that you can come to this church because they will love you and they will help you. We need to be sensitive to the to the different kinds of families and not just you know overextended and uh, immersed in technology, but some of them don't necessarily look like what we traditionally think. And so I appreciate bringing that up. And I just would say again, be very sensitive to those around you. I don't know where this where this where you find yourself today. I don't know. Um, obviously, you're you were interested and wanted to connect with families. Um, uh, I hope some of these things have been helpful. I often say it's not what I've said, but where it takes you. And so for my prayer for you this afternoon is that something was said today that takes you where God wants your church and your ministry as a Bible study leader, a kids ministry leader, a parent or grandparent. It takes you where he wants you to go. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you for this privilege of teaching boys and girls, of partnering with families. God, we are, uh, I find myself in awe that you would give us the privilege to introduce your kids to your story, to your, to your story for them. And God, I'm thankful for these men and women who've gathered today to talk about this. Lord, I pray that you would um, give us one thing, just one thing, that will help us do better at what you've called us to do. Reach boys and girls and their families with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they can spend an eternity in heaven. God, I pray that each person in this room will have that success story this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much.